We've got a special guest this morning who's preaching for us. This is Carter Kaiser. Carter, why don't you come on up here on stage and join me. You, some of you will recognize Carter. Carter grew up at Highland. He's been at Lipscomb University for the last few years. He's starting his senior year there. He's studying to be a minister, and uh, Carter's my preaching intern this summer. And so he's going to preach to us this morning, and, and really he's preaching to us about who we remember and why we remember our Lord Jesus. And so it's a great message, and I'm, I'm really confident you're going to be blessed by it. So let me turn it over to him to, to lead us. Well, good morning. My name is Carter Kaiser, and I am so excited to be in front of all you guys today. <clears throat> I'm a senior at Lipscomb University, and before I start, I just want to say thank you so much to Eric and all the elders for giving me this opportunity. It's kind of surreal being up here because I grew up in these seats, and now I'm standing up here, which is just kind of a crazy experience. My parents still go here, although they're not here today, and they have heard me preach before, so I don't know if there's a correlation there. I don't know, kind of weird. Hey, we're gonna be in Philippians 2, 5 through 11 today. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. So if you guys will turn there, let me pray real quick and then we'll get started. God, thank you for today. Thank you that we can congregate together and just focus on you as believers, Lord. I just ask that this time today is impactful and that truth is what falls on our hearts, God. Lord, we love you and we love your son, Jesus, and it's your name that I pray, amen. <laughs> so Philippians was a letter that was written by the apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Now, Paul, as many of you know, is one of the first Christian missionaries, and he's one of the most influential Christians of all of Christianity. He wrote most of the New Testament, and so he was writing to the church in Philippi, and he said this, this really important thing. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, so what's happening here in the church in Philippi is that there's this internal conflict that's going on between two believers whose names were Euodia and Syntyche. And this conflict was splitting up the church. And so what Paul is calling for in this letter is for the church to be unified. And what he uses is what scholars believe to be Paul's master story. Okay, so it's not that this story is Paul's story necessarily, but it's what they say, the story that Paul believes to have mastery over our lives. It's the story of Jesus Christ. And if you look in the text, you see that this story is weaved all throughout what Paul writes, what he says, and what he does. Okay, Paul's master story. It's a story that has mastery over our lives. But here's the thing is I don't think Highland is divided, right? I actually think quite the opposite. We're a church that is committed to each other, 
and committed to the mission of God. And if you need any proof of that, look at the outreach contribution. I mean, we hit that and we have hit that consecutively for so many different years. It's evident that we are committed to what God has called us to do and who he has called us to be. So the question is, why is it that I'm preaching on this text? Well, Eric told me that the first sermon was wide open and that I need to preach on something that I believed in. So about two months ago, I was doing a personal study and I came across this set of passages and something about it just gripped me. So today that's what we're gonna unpack. And so the calling in this text is evident. Be humble like Christ. And the question that follows that is natural. Okay, well, how? Well, here's the thing about today's sermon is I'm not gonna tell you how for three reasons. Number one, humility in my context most likely looks different than humility in your context. It's kind of the same how humility in the context of a high school student may look different than a mother with a job, okay? And it makes me think of Micah 6, 8, the very end, walk humbly with your God. We all have our own context of humility that we're working through, okay? So I don't really feel inclined to tell you how to live your life like that, okay? Number two is that if you think you're humble enough to teach other people how to be humble, you are probably not humble. Um, if that's a harsh word for anyone today, sorry about that. Um, Larry McKenzie, a minister here, likes to tell this story of the most humble man. Okay, so this town was doing a contest to find out who was the most humble man. And this guy won. And when he won, he was given a button that said most humble. And the next day he was walking around town wearing the button. And what do you know, they took the button away from him, right? Okay, so it's kind of that, that whole concept, okay? But lastly, point three is that Paul doesn't exactly give us a step-by-step -step process of, hey, here is how you be humble. Now, he gives some great practical recommendations of you could do this, you could do this, but he doesn't give a step-by-step -step process of these are the things you need to do. Instead, what he does is he gives a perfect example of humility in Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is doing here is he's inviting the church into the practice of remembrance, which indicates that there is something valuable in practicing what seems to be a passive action. Tomorrow's Memorial Day, which is a day that practices remembrance. And when I was thinking about Memorial Day, it kind of dawned on me. You don't really do anything for Memorial Day, right? You might have a cookout and small towns might go and have a parade, but you don't go enlist in the military and you don't go fight the nearest war, right? What do you do? You take a step back and you remember what was done for you. And in this remembrance, we find that our affection and appreciation grow for what has been done for us. As I was doing research, I came across the story of a lady who was talking about what Memorial Day means to her. And so she described this story of how whenever she was younger, she really didn't get why they did Memorial Day. Her family had had a person who was an uncle, his name was Bud, and he was killed in World War II and they consistently celebrated him, but she never really got it until she was about 16. And she describes this scene where lunch had just finished and everybody was out in the yard celebrating, playing their annual game of baseball. And she was sitting in the armchair in the living room and she looks up at a bookcase and she sees Bud's photo. And she stands up and she takes the photo down and she flips it on the back and she sees Bud's name, his life date, and then a quote that says, a great hero. And she hears creaking come up from behind her and it's her grandmother and she says, Meemaw, what's a hero? 
And without a word, her grandmother goes to the back room and pulls out this box and brings it into the living room. And in this box, they start going over, it's all of Bud's old things. So it's a wallet and a driver's license and a photo. And she says that that's when she began to understand what Memorial Day was really about. And then she jumps to the present where she's talking about how she wants to pass this belief on to her children. And she has this great quote. She says, I want them to remember that life isn't just about getting what you want. Sometimes it involves giving up the things you love for what you love even more. So we recognize that memory has power because with memory, our affection and appreciation grow. And when I look at this Philippians text, I can't help but see Paul as the grandmother who's pulling out the box and he's going through what the Philippians knew and he's trying to make them remember, hey guys, in the midst of all this, here's what really matters, okay? And so what is it that Paul is calling them to remember? Well, what he does in this section of the text is he uses what is known to be the Christ hymn, okay? It was a very popular hymn that circulated through all of the Christian circles back in those days, kind of like how amazing grace is us for, t- for today. And he goes through and he reminds them, he says, guys, here's what you're singing. Let's look at the words of this, okay? So then we have to ask ourselves, what exactly is it that this hymn is amplifying about Christ? And I think that there are three different things that the hymn is amplifying, okay? And it follows in verses six, seven, and eight. So verse six, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Which brings me to point one, that Christ properly exercised power. Now, this may not seem like a very big concept until you think about the number of times we have seen power misused and manipulated. And I was thinking about it in the context of villains in in books and movies and in TV shows. And the initial example that popped up in my mind comes from this like super small niche movie series. You guys might've heard of it. It's called Marvel. And so basically um, there's a huge villain in the middle of this whole universe whose name is Thanos. And Thanos is this big purple 500 pound monster who is on this quest to get ultimate power. And what Thanos is after is the fulfillment of his desires. And what I see in Thanos, even though he's not human, I see the most human concepts about ourself because what he's really doing is he's seeking power for his own purpose because he thinks he knows what's best. And we do that all the time. And Paul earlier in the letter calls that vain conceit and selfish ambition. And he makes it very clear that that is not Jesus. And I'm sure that we could think in all of our own contexts, whether it's on a local or a national or international level, someone misusing power, but that's not the point. The point is this, is that that's what separates us and Christ because Christ in his power gives his power away. He becomes a healer, a teacher, a helper, a friend, and a servant. Which leads me to verse seven. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Point two, Christ lowered himself and became nothing. 
In our culture, we love stories of ascent, right? We love these zero to hero stories. Okay, we love an underdog story. I think that's why we love March Madness, right? Because we're always cheering for the little guy, you know? And so the story of ascent that I initially thought of was Steve Jobs. Everybody's always like, oh man, Steve Jobs, he started Apple in his garage. Now all of us have a piece of him in our pocket, right? Okay, we love these stories of ascent, but the story of Christ is the complete opposite. It's a story of descent because you have the king who goes from his holy palace and takes steps down into our world and becomes human. But it doesn't stop there because what he does is even by human standards, he goes lower and he becomes a servant. Which leads me to point three, verse eight. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Point three, Christ was obedient to the point of death for us. And here we find that the story of descent continues where he goes from servant to grave. And we see this downward trajectory of Christ's life where he starts in the palace and he ends in the grave. And right here is the culminating point of Paul's master story where he says, everything has changed because Christ lived out the true biblical definition of humility. This complete setting aside of oneself for what it was that God had intended for him. And what I see in Christ is this amazing humility. It's this complete setting aside of oneself, which Paul instructs in verse four of chapter two, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And so although we don't see this, this intense, physical, self-sacrificing humility in our everyday context, I do think that we see slivers of, of Christ's humility in our daily life. And when I think of humility in action, I think of my dad and his relationship with his dad. My dad just retired after 37 years of teaching at Bartlett High School, and he's been retired for about a year. And while he's been loving retirement, he hasn't exactly dove right into it because for two days out of the week, he goes out to my grandfather's farm, which is about 40 minutes away. My grandfather has 40 acres, and he goes and he He'll mow the grass and he'll cut down limbs and he'll bring food out and he'll wash my granddad's sheets and, and clothes because my grandfather has what we believe to be dementia. And so his short-term memory is completely gone. So my dad has to go out there and take care of him. So I, me and my dad were out there at the farm about a couple weeks ago and we went and we were riding the mowers around and we were cutting his grass. And we went and we parked the mowers in the shed. And so we're sweaty, we're hot, we're covered in, in grass. And we're walking back to the house. And my grandfather, who we call Pop, Pop meets us. He meets us out there and he starts, he starts talking to us. And he's like, yeah, you know, whenever I was out there cutting this grass, da, 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 da. And so he keeps on telling the story. And me and my dad are like, what are you talking about? And we're like, oh my gosh. He doesn't remember that we are the ones who just cut the grass. So he's credited all of our work to himself, right? But here's the wild thing, is that while he's talking to us about this grass that he cut, he starts going, yeah, and it looks like I kind of missed a spot like out there <laughs> under the tree. And we're like, what's going on? What's happening right now? And so we laugh about that and my granddad walks away. And I looked at my dad and I was like, well, nobody can say that you're doing this for any sort of glory. Um, 
So we, we laughed about that. But then in a separate conversation, I was just kind of thinking about how this was impacting my dad. And I looked at my dad and I was like, hey, how is all this with pop affecting you? And he looks at me and he goes, Carter, nobody teaches you how to parent your parents. And so when I look at my dad and his humility, I think, man, I am not there yet, but I would like to be. And the humility that is shown in my dad is just a shadow of the humility that is shown in Christ. And I think that that's what Paul is after here in this text. He's saying, I want you guys to look at Christ because when you do, you'll say, I am not there yet, but I would like to be. And I think that's the overarching theme of Paul's life. Later in the letter, he references his former accomplishments by saying, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And then he lists all these other great accomplishments, but then he kind of says, none of this matters because instead, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Formerly, Paul lived in this reality of selfish ambition and vain conceit until that one fateful day on the Damascus Road where he was faced with the glory of Christ. And what he realized in that moment was the only proper response to the glory of Christ was living a life devoted to seeking and knowing Jesus. And when we begin to remember Christ's humility, two things happen. Our affection and our appreciation grow and we are humbled because when we begin to measure up our life next to the one who made himself nothing, what we find is that we are unfathomably less and that is when we're humbled. I'm gonna close with a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, there is only one way to know that we are sinners and that is to have some dim glimmering conception of God. So I can't tell you how to be humble today, but what I can say is this, what's happening to Paul and what he's guiding the Philippians towards is to have the right focus. Because when you have the right focus, you will bear the right fruit. I'm going to close this out in the prayer and then uh, dismiss you guys. So if you'll bow with me. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for everything that you've done for us. Jesus, we just want to be more like you. And so I just ask that you work in our hearts, God, and that you um, continue to walk with us on this path. Lord, thank you so much for what you have done in the new reality that we get to live in. God, we love you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.